Have you ever um, have you ever had problems with ants? Ants, um, like a infestation or anything. I'm trying to think at my like at when when I used to live with my mom, but not that I can think of. I know there was like sometimes ants would get on the sink and stuff, but it wasn't like too inconvenient or anything. We would just put some stuff out and then they would be gone in like a day or so. Yeah. Back when I was in college, I was living in a basement apartment and uh, I was a bit of a slob. I noticed a couple of ants were starting to come in my front door, but, you know, didn't really think much of it. But as is always the case with ants, uh, if you don't do something about it and a couple show up, like, you know, then more show up, you know. And I was I was dragging my feet about doing anything about it because I didn't like the idea of putting out traps because I didn't want a dog to eat one of the traps or something. So uh, I was trying to find a better way to take care of them. And I was really just, you know, like out of sight, out of mind, like they were at the door, whatever. And then one day it was like super hot and my AC was less than stellar. And I was, uh, I was drinking a soda, probably Coke, but I, I don't know. And, um, and it was on my coffee table and I, was laying down watching YouTube or some shit, probably like Rooster Teeth or whatever, and and I fell asleep because it was like a super hot day. So, you know, like sometimes you get those like heat naps where it's just like it's too hot to like move, so you just pass out. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're in one of those like baby swaddles because it's so warm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I, I wake up and uh, it's... it's like a basement apartment so it gets dark like as soon as the sun starts setting so like i can't really see shit i go and i grab my drink and i take a swig my eyes shoot open because i can feel these little lumps in my mouth and something crawled on my hand i hit the light switch and the can was just covered in ants i ran to the sink spit out my drink and there was like 30 ants in various stages of drowning <laughs> like one of them crawled across my mouth and i just freaked out I rinsed out the can to kill all those ants, took a shower just to make sure they weren't crawling all over me because I felt like I could feel them. And then immediately I just went scorched earth on the little bastards, put down traps, sprays. I rigged a little flamethrower out of a lighter and a spray deodorant. I hosed down the outside of the door. It was a hard-fought battle, but eventually I remained and the ants did not. Taking that swig and having... Yeah, you, ants in my mouth. That would have, I would have freaked out. I probably would have cried a little. Would never told anybody. <laughs> you probably didn't go to sleep for a while. Yeah, you should have. Uh, you should have set up a little, uh, like ant farm right at the beginning and see if they all crawled in. Then you could have captured them all. Yeah, because I live in a cartoon. <laughs> What we consume. Ahoy, ahoy, and welcome to What We Consume, a show about all the things we put into our minds and bodies. I'm your host, King Hagathor, and with me as always is... Hey, it's Kevin. I'm here. I need to be more spry and active with my mind. 
quick correction for last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1984 was definitely not the first year the Olympics had corporate sponsorship. It was the most successful year of corporate sponsorship. I just, like, that wasn't something I wrote down. It was just something I, like, thought I remembered correctly in my head, which is why I always write stuff down, because then I can fact check it and not sound like a jackass. I knew I was smarter than King the whole time. I knew I was right. Before we get started, this and the next episode are going to be pretty dark, uh, with murder, sexual assault, genocide, riots, and all other manners of ugliness. So, just a heads up, because this stuff's going to get pretty weird. I feel like everything's have, weird with you. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I feel like I can assume this, but do you have a favorite type of cola? Not soda, but cola? When, like, like what, what specifies as cola? Um, usually ones that call themselves such. Uh, Royal Crown, Coke, Pepsi. Okay, so like the brown stuff. Typically, yeah. I mean, it's Coke by far. Yeah, I kind of figured. Yeah. Personally, I uh, I'm also more inclined to like Coke. For some reason, like the extra sugar in Pepsi, like it feels like I mean, obviously it's all filled with sugar and like terrible for your teeth and everything, but when I drink a Pepsi, like the first sip, it feels like I can actively feel my teeth dissolving. Yeah. You know? Pepsi feels more like a uh like a sweet treat rather than a cold crisp beverage that ta- that quenches your thirst and makes you feel at home like coke yeah although like when it comes to the cherries i think uh i think i slightly like cherry pepsi more than cherry coke so um, i don't know why i haven't drank like the flavored colas in a long time like uh the vanilla or cherry and stuff. I, I left all that behind in my younger years. I'm a traditionalist now. Yeah, drinking your diet sunkissed. Hey, sunkissed, traditional. Best drink ever created. When, when you get conditioned by uh, Keenan and Kale to love orange soda, then, then you start drinking orange soda, and then it takes over your whole... Uh, life and then you know it just sticks with you forever i uh i recently had a uh slice orange soda which i kind of forgot that slice existed but um it's pretty good is that the one in the glass bottle no well at least not the one i had i'm not i would have to i would have to see it to know what it is i've tried many different variants of uh orange soda I think uh, Sunkiss is the only one that actually has caffeine in it. That is correct. Anyways, let's get started. It's also so, it's uh, also not as sweet as other ones. Like if you go to Fanta or you go to like some of the off-brand stuff, they make them much sweeter. Sunkiss is more like uh, it's just not as sweet, so it quenches it it better. You know, going back to Coke. Yeah, I I can talk about Sun. I can talk about orange soda for uh, a, a while. Well. We'll be talking about Fanta next week. Today we're going to continue down the history of one of the most famous beverages ever made, alongside those who tried to topple it, Coca-Cola. And we're going to be picking up pretty much exactly where we left off. So, July 1886, Coca-Cola was created by John Pemberton. The first cola, 
but not the first soda. Like, Dr. Pepper was actually created the year earlier in 1885 by Charles uh, Alderton, a pharmacist in Waco, Texas. And he wasn't really a doctor? Uh, no. What a bastard for lying to us. I mean, we all knew that Dr. Pepper didn't earn his degree. Wait, is this something I'm supposed to know? No. Okay. So 1886 was also the year that the Statue of Liberty was dedicated to the centennial of the U.S.'s foundation. Benz, as in Mercedes-Benz, Benz applied for the patent for the first automobile, and the Haymarket Affair took place on May 1st in Chicago. We're not going to be discussing those on today's episode, but what just you, some other... What do you mean they got the patent for the first automobile? Were they trying to, like, not make it to it so anybody else couldn't make cars? Well, so that nobody could make cars using their design. Oh, okay. But they but they, they weren't trying to, like, monopolize cars itself to where, like, nobody else could create an engine-powered thing on four wheels. I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to, but no, that would have been outside the parameters of the patent. Okie dokie. So then in 1888, Asa Candler gains control of the Coca-Cola formula and the company. Last time I said that he bought it for roughly $2,300, and that's the official version of events. But there are some concerning coincidences that lead some to believe he had more nefarious methods. So in 1914, so this is years later, Wolfolk Walker's sister, Margaret Dozier, was then 65 years old, claimed she never sold her portion of the company, nor did she receive any money if she had sold it. Two different handwriting experts examined the documents from April 17th and August 30th of 1888, particularly the April document, and found them to be forgeries. They believed that Walker had forged his sister's name in order to sign both of their shares over to Asa Candler. But they couldn't question Walker about this because he had disappeared after signing the August documents. He was he left murdered. Well, he left town without even saying goodbye to his sister. She wrote to his new address in Hot Springs, Arkansas, numerous times, but never received a single reply. He had simply vanished. Murder! Now, it could have been that he just uh, forged his sister's name to sell her portion of it and then just took off and didn't answer her because then he would have to answer for forging her name or whatnot, but... You just dipped like everybody else in that time because you could go anywhere and create your, like, a new name and have a whole new life. None yeah, of it you, mattered. You could shave a beard or grow a beard or probably not even have to and still, like, just go under a completely different identity. I mean, technically back then, all you had to do is go about 15 miles down the road. You probably never see the other person ever again. Pretty uh, decent assumption, yeah. But it was murder. It might have been. And that wasn't the only suspected forgery, either. Handwriting expert George Pearl believes John Pemberton's signature was also forged on April 14, 1888. Pearl claims the writing is, quote, way, way out of natural vari- variation for this signature to be genuine. Meaning that it's not only a forgery, but a pretty bad one as well. Since John Pemberton died in August 1888, there was no way to ask him, nor could they ask Charlie or Cliff Pemberton, as at this point, both of them had died as well. 
Charlie was found unconscious in a small bedroom above the Oriole restaurant on June 23rd, 1894. He was hospitalized in intense pain before slowly dying 10 days later. A stick of raw opium was found near him. And that didn't sit well with people either. Charlie had been an obnoxious drunk for years, but he had worked in his father's store for several years. It wouldn't have made sense to overdose that way. Like, he would he would know better ways to kill himself if it was a suicide like people suspected. But also, if it was an overdose, like, he, he could have gone the morphine route, which would have been a lot less painful way to go because he he like languished for 10 days of just intense pain before dying whereas like if he had done morphine he would have felt a lot better and then just slipped away the other possibility is that it was murder sounds like we're getting into an agatha christie book and we need hercule perot to come and save us Well, it would certainly help, but there's no real way to know for certain, and possibly to ensure that, in 1910, when the Coca-Cola company was moving to a bigger facility, Candler ordered the earliest records of the company to be burned, which left only the official chain of title remaining. So, if there was anything nefarious going on, it's lost to history. Dude, he totally killed them all, took the business... (laughs) Him or it was a uh, what's the Robinson? He he secretly did it to get back well, at everybody. Neither of them were very big men, even for the time period. So chances are they probably would have outsourced it to some goons. But I mean, uh, you don't have to be you don't have to be big to murder somebody. You could use poison. You could. Yeah, that's about that's all I'm getting in my mind right now. There's other ways to murder people, but for some reason I can't think of them. Sure, that's fair. <laughs> but as it stands, through legal or other villainous means, Asa Candler was the sole proprietor of the Coca-Cola formula. And as to your question last week about Frank Mason Robinson, Candler kept him on board from the very beginning. Candler was not an inventor like Pemberton had been, but he knew Robinson's talent when he saw it. He had Robinson split between manufacturing Coca-Cola and advertising it, just like Robinson had done in the early days of working for Pemberton. Candler also changed the Coca-Cola formula as soon as he acquired the recipe. He found Pemberton's recipe to be too unstable and unreliable, sometimes having too much of one ingredient or too little of another, meaning the flavor could be a little chaotic because of the like high variations of ingredient amounts. Like Sometimes it could taste really good like coca-cola and sometimes it could taste really bitter or just like off also the other reason he did this was that at least 10 different people had known the pemberton formula now the only people who knew it were candler and robinson so this is the start of that whole only two people know the coca-cola recipe kind of thing the secretive in the vault thing Candler and Robinson would tear off every label of ingredients as soon as they arrived to their factory, and they would replace them with a numbered X. It was basically a code that only they knew. Candler was also the only person in the company to open the mail so he could check it before it made its way to accounting or other departments, in case it had, like, ingredient manifestos or whatnot. Why do you think they wanted to be so secretive? Are you about to get into that? Even when Pemberton was still alive and they were like a competing company, like there was a lot of imitators and 
people trying to cash in. So, like, if you could make Coke, like, like you were saying how you could go 15 miles away and, you know, disappear. If somebody, like, knew the recipe, they could just go to, like, Texas or New York and just start creating their own and just call it something else. But it would be the Coca-Cola, like, formula. So, there was some legitimate reason to be pretty secretive about it so making soda back in the day was basically a secret spy operation like uh shield or hydra or uh the mi frick what is 007 mi6 mi6 that's how cool it was back then well there was some of that yeah uh, they they also uh, sampled, like either Robinson or Candler would sample each batch before it left the factory to ensure quality. Robinson was said to have a very keen nose able to detect even the slightest deviation between batches. And they pushed hard on advertising. One of the reasons they became such a juggernaut of a company was because they weren't just selling sugar water. They were selling the experience of Coca-Cola. They were selling family. They were selling a connection to your heart and soul that can be connected throughout the world. And and they stole Santa Claus and trademarked him, basically. Yeah, so uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. One advertisement they sent to local druggists read as, quote, a delightful summer and winter soda fountain beverage, the genuine merit and deserved popularity, a reputation that now extends all over the states of Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee, and to numerous localities in many other states. See, prior to this, like, soda fountains had essentially summer seasons, or they had seasons, and the summer season was, like, their main selling time. Like, soda fountains would get pretty much all their money for the year selling in the summer. And then in the winter, they would still sell some, but people weren't as interested in sodas. They'd go for, like, coffee or, like, hot beverages. Um, Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, uh, how snow cone machines are, like, or not machines, but, like, snow cone stands will pop up in summer or, like, ice cream... uh, like frozen yogurt or whatnot will uh, have like really popular, really high volume summer months, and then like just try to make it through winter. <clears throat> so it's kind of like that. Um, but Coca Cola started advertising as like, "Hey, our shit tastes good even in winter. We're and, good all the time." Yeah. Uh, they had traveling salesmen known as drummers who would be pushing the product far and wide and by 1889 were selling in georgia mississippi alabama and even virginia they sold 2171 gallons of syrup that year that's a lot so once asa took it over they basically like super expanded yeah and like really pushed this product so they were growing and growing These drummers and advertising were so effective that by 1890, only 40% of Coca-Cola sales came from Atlanta soda fountains, the rest coming from further out. Wow. And by the following year, that number had uh, shrunk to 27%, meaning that other places were buying, and they were buying a lot. By 1890, they sold 8,855 gallons. In the span of a year, they went from... 2,171 to 8,855. 
That is I mean, what that's they it's like almost four times four times their production. That is insane, honestly. It's almost 18... like Domino's opening up uh, so many stores. In 1891, they sold 19,831 gallons. That's one more year, and they more than doubled 8,000. Jeez. Yeah. So they are just boom, 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 just cranking it out. Yeah. That's got to uh, keep it. You got to be living off of a high when you're doing that. You know how exciting that sounds. Keep in mind, though, they hadn't even started bottling yet. And so this is just the syrup for them to make it in the their soda fountain stuff. Right. Jeez. So Candler had other patent medicines. He had purchased that botanical blood bomb we talked about last week in 1890. But by the fall of 1891, the company had changed to focus almost entirely on Coca-Cola because it was just growing and growing. They didn't really need to worry about this like patent medicine bullshit. Yeah, why wouldn't you, man? If you got something and it's really popping off and you know that you can take a chance on that, like, you should full force that son of a gun. Like, just go straight at it and really take advantage and grow it. Well, it's typically advised to diversify your investments just in case, you know, something happens. No, those are all, um, those, are all those pussies who don't take their chances and they never get to the huge place. These are just the investing people to where they want to keep, um, they, they want to keep your money and I'll put it in other places so they get more instead of you going after your dream and really pushing it hard. Yeah, that is the other side, is, like, you can make more money assuming your single investment does well, but if it doesn't, then you also stand to lose more money, so... King, if we pop it's, off, it's I'm a investing everything into us. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go bankrupt. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. Uh, so Asa Candler promoted Coca-Cola as a delicious soda fountain drink but also as a cure for hangovers and headaches, claiming that they worked on him. So it's kind of like those uh, 1980s hair club for men ads where it's like, I'm not just president of the company, I'm also a client. Yeah. So is there caffeine during this time? Like, are they putting, yeah, they, yeah. they're already putting caffeine the, into coke? The caffeine comes from the cola nuts. It's got sugar and okay. it's got... Uh, and it's got coca. So, like, it's it's a pretty potent blend of almost entirely stimulants and the co so is the coke is the cocaine still in there at this time yes okay so there so yeah it's going to take away your headache and all of your other stuff especially if you are drinking them because one you're hung over from it so you're just getting re-stimulated two you're probably having some caffeine withdrawals so you're getting a little bit of headache so as soon as you drink another one it's going to go away exactly uh so while things were going well at the company uh problem was quietly emerging rumors of it containing cocaine were emerging and some people were becoming habitual users the coca leaves in it do mean that a bit of like the alkaloid cocaine is in the drink but they're not like extracting the cocaine from the coca leaves and then putting that in the drink like they they're using the leaves themselves in the recipe so like a little bit of it seeps in like I was saying last time, it's not like you're railing a line every time you're drinking a Coke from this time, but but there is like that smaller residual benefit of it. Man, I wonder how much better Coke was with that in it. It would be fun to find out. 
If they ever legalize like drugs and stuff, Coke should do a limited run of it and just you know pull it, put it, put it back in. I imagine they will, or they would, but maybe not, and we'll get to that later. So, some patrons would uh, ask for a dope when referring to Coca-Cola, which infuriated Candler. He would take out ads to combat this trend by saying, "Quote." I would quit manufac- the manufacturing of Coca-Cola instantly if I thought it could possibly hurt someone. He also claimed that the formula only called for a half an ounce of coca leaves per gallon, which would be 11 times less than Pemberton's original formula. But since only he and Robinson know the formula, it's kind of hard to say for certain whether or not like he was just lying or he had actually changed the formula that much at that point. This appeared to be enough to calm the public for a moment as they continued to consume more Coca-Cola every year. The rumors about cocaine in the drink might have actually helped sales because then it was like kind of, you know, like, ooh, this is kind of scandalous. I mean, um, yeah, you know, it, it works with everything. Yeah. Why do you think, why do you think uh, 14 and 15 year olds like vaping? They think it's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. Well, you just look like an idiot. No offense to our vaping fans. But Candler and uh, Robinson also kept the mysteri- like the formula so mysterious, which also helped because it gave it a mystique. You know, it had that like slight danger element to it. So it's a very compelling drink. So in 1891, Candler went to the patent office with all the relevant documents. He also sold his drug business to focus solely on Coca-Cola. They also began to feature calendars with attractive women on them. They were conservatively dressed in the style of the time, but this association of beautiful women and Coca-Cola worked as a very early sex sell style advertising. I mean, it still works now. Yeah. But, like, they were pioneering it at this time. Yeah. In 1892, the Coca-Cola Company was created. On January 29th, 1892, Coca-Cola Company was given its corporate charter. In February, Candler chan- transferred his rights to Coca-Cola in exchange for 500 shares, 10 of which he gave to Robinson. So, I mean, like, it's it, it's pretty small considering he got 500, but, like, at least he got Robinson something, which yeah, I mean, he, is a lot better than he would have had under Pemberton. Well, and, and that grows, uh, like, as time and it grows, that share will grow, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I would have to calculate that, but, I mean, it's, what, 1% or less than 1%, something like that, or... I can't do math right now. Uh, I mean, that's still, yeah, it, it's it, still a it, lot. It's a small, time. but it's a potent amount. Uh, Candler ended up hiring more people, into, including his son, Howard Candler, to manufacture the syrup so Robinson could focus full-time on advertising. Because... Like that's that's where Robinson really shines is he's he's got these ideas for advertising that just are incredibly effective for Coca Cola. So he's like a modern madman, madman, or yeah. Well, he's more like a Victorian madman. <laughs> Wait, when did the when did the that madman show or whatever that stuff started? Is that the 40s? like the sixties? Six. Oh man. Okay. So that's a way. Sixties. That's way earlier. <laughs> Yeah. So in May of uh, 1982, trademark registration for Coca-Cola was denied because a product called Coca-Cola already existed. Is that uh, Pemberton? 
No. A New Jersey druggist named Benjamin Kent had independently created a beverage called using coca leaves and cola nuts and had decided to name it Coca-Cola with the two C's and the uh, hyphen in the middle. So exactly the same, just independently, a year before Robinson had suggested the name for Pemberton's drink. And when is... So that was 1882? Yeah, 1882. I did type that in wrong. Yeah, just making sure. Because you said 19, I was like... uh, Oh, no, it's supposed to be 1892. 1892? Okay. Yep. Benjamin Kent had created his drink in 1885. Now we're in 1892 when they find out about each other. Yeah, because then you said that he was in New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so far away in that time. That's like a... Right different earth at that time Mm -hmm. it had also been advertised as a headache and hangover cure and in june 1888 kent had applied for his own trademark but pemberton had registered the coca-cola trademark on june 28th of 1887 so when it went to court it was ruled that the atlanta version like the pemberton version that was bought by isaac handler technically had precedence they ruled in atlanta's like Candler's favor. Candler then quickly bought out Kent for $400, although Kent wanted $10,000. $400? Oh, he got ripped off. Oh, yeah. He should have just renamed it something else and started selling it. Yeah, he probably didn't realize what he had. Yeah. Like, I think he was making, like, a modest profit off it, but he certainly wasn't where Candler and Robinson had taken their Coca-Cola at that point. He didn't have an advertising guru. Right. So now with Coca-Cola legally squared away, it was time to really ramp up advertisements. Also in 1892, William Painter created the bottle cap and the church key bottle opener two years later. So for two years, they had bottle caps, but no bottle cap openers. So I'm not sure if they were just using like pocket knives or like the end of counters or tops or whatnot but yeah but but they created like he created the bottle cap and then two years later created the bottle cap opener i mean there yeah there had to be like ways that they knew how to take it off there's no way so oh i'm sure yeah also in 1892 the company sold 35,360 gallons of syrup they doubled again almost pretty much right yeah and then 48,427 in 1893, 64,333 in 1894, and 76,244 in 1895. What? All of this with less than 30 people employed in the company. My gosh, what a growth rate. And are they still not bottling? No. Uh, well, the first bottling is in 1894. Yeah. But there's still majority the money's coming through the syrup sales. Right. That is. Because I'm assuming distribution of like the bottling and everything, then they still had to like fully figure that out and how that's that's just we'll such get a, into that. that's such a growth like that's such a phenomenal growth rate over time. Right. The majority of their advertisements were spent on point-of-purchase signs, calendars, novelties, and newspaper ads. Everything that could display the Coca-Cola lettering. This focus on the name and making sure it was correct with 
the two capital C's and the hyphen in the middle, and also spelling it correctly, worked to make sure the trademark was secure. So they're like, if they had any deviations, then like it's it makes the trademark less secure, and it also ensured that people couldn't weren't swindled by imitators, because if you if you see like that accurate lettering of Coca-Cola, you know that you're getting Coca-Cola, whereas someone could make, like, Coca-Cola or, like, Cacao-Cola, you know, like, any kind of obnoxious slight deviation could be an imitator. But if you saw the, the right logo, you knew you were getting what you were looking for. Most of the early ads were focused on the medicinal properties of the product, calling it an ideal brain tonic and... Quote, harmless, wonderful, efficient, quick, relieves headaches, gives prompt rest. They had ads targeted at businessmen, women, and even children. They also had ads targeted at smokers as a way to wash away the tobacco smell. They were target like targeting everyone, yeah. pretty much. Well, everyone white. <laughs> so they, don't, uh, they didn't want black people drinking their uh, Coke? Correct. I'm so assuming 18... you're about to get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit, yeah. Okay. So in 1893, Brad's Drink was created. In New Bern, North Carolina, a pharmacist named Caleb Bradham created a drink known as Brad's Drink, which included sugar and vanilla. We'll get back to that in a little bit. So in 1894, Robinson sent over 7,000 free sample coupons. It worked when he had worked with Pemberton, and it worked again now, bringing in more and more customers. Also that year, Joseph Biederhorn in Vicksburg, Mississippi, started bottling Coca-Cola to sell to rural residents who couldn't make the trek all the way to the soda fountain for a glass. So he just decided to start doing this on his own. He sent a case of the, bottle, the, of the bottled product to Asa Candler, who commended him for having the idea, but also wanted nothing to do with it. So he allowed Biederhorn to get the bottling rights to Coca-Cola for Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. Kind of a foolish move on his part. Yeah, um, I guess he didn't want... Like, I guess he didn't want to deal with it, or he didn't think it was going to blow up, but that, that becomes, like, their biggest source. Yeah. By the end of 1895, Coca-Cola was sold and drunk in every state and territory of the United States, just four years after incorporating. That's so wild. And they're, I guess at that time, they're building they're building the railroad and everything at that time as well. So we're expanding out to California, right? At this point, the um, Transcontinental Railroad should already, be, already be built. Okay. Completed. So I mean, we are already... Damn, the United States at that point is already huge. Yeah. So in 1895, Frank Robinson pulled Asa Candler aside to discuss their marketing. Women and other customers were complaining that they just wanted to drink a refreshing Coca-Cola, but felt guilty drinking medicine when they felt fine. Robinson had an idea. They pivoted the advertisement by slowly removing the med medicinal aspects from their advertising. Like, it, it might still show up in, like, the small print, but their main focus was on a simple positive message. Quote, drink Coca-Cola, delicious and refreshing. Yeah. They're not wrong there. Simple and effective. It gets me every day. 
<laughs> they also began to use celebrity endorsements like Lillian Nordica and Hilda Clark, which was still a very new practice at the time. No like, idea who either of those people are. Well, I mean, you wouldn't, but in back in the day, you would. Like, they were famous for their time, but... How were they famous? One of them was an opera singer, and the other was a some kind of stage actor, I think. I guess the only way you know that stuff is what, through newspaper? Uh, newspaper or flyers put up around town or just word of mouth, probably. Because there's no way, like, if she, if they live in another state and they... I guess there's a lot of touring and stuff, but still not everybody. There's no way everybody would know. Yeah, I think a lot of it would be touring, but these were very big names at the time. Their pivot to being a beverage happened to be very well-timed. The Spanish-American War was fast approaching, and in 1898, Congress passed a war tax on proprietary medicine. But that tax did not affect beverages. So the Commissioner of Internal Revenue ruled that Coca-Cola was still a drug and therefore had to pay the tax. Candler was not having that, though, so instead he sued the federal government. The case dragged on until 1902 when it was finally settled in Coca-Cola's favor. This also led to, like, a lifelong distrust of the government for Candler. Like, they were definitely trying to get their pockets full from doing that to them. They probably were like, this drink is huge. We're going to take advantage of uh, their taxes. Well... It was still also a proprietary medicine. Like, they had they had stopped doing as much of that advertising and were mostly focused on the beverage, but still roughly 10% of Coca-Cola ads claimed its medicinal benefits. But would it have to be, like, a trademarked as a medication, or do they have to tra- change the trademark? I'm not entirely sure how legally it would work, but but that would have been part of the discussion. I would have sued, too. I would have done the same exact thing. You're not taking my stuff. (laughs) By 1897, Coca-Cola had made its way to Canada, Hawaii, and Mexico. But Candler wanted the whole world. And then in 1898, Brad's drink became Pepsi-Cola. The word Pepsi is believed to be because it was advertised to to relieve dyspepsia, a.k.a. indigestion. However, it's also argued that it was named Pepsi to associate it with the digestive enzyme pepsin to subtly trick customers to believe its medical claim pepsin was never actually an ingredient in pepsi cola but you know just that word association yeah asa candler also kept tabs on his drummers the best he could traveling salesmen had garnered a stereotype of being slightly nefarious you know slinking off with the farmer's daughter and such rumors but candler would have no such talk about his drummers he demanded them be enthusiastic, upright representatives of the Coca-Cola company. He reprimanded or fired any he believed were sullying the good name of Coca-Cola. In 1899, Asa Candler's son, Howard, would become their best drummer during his summer break from medical school. They sold over 280,000 gallons that year. I'm trying to do In July that of eight- That is... What year was that again? 1899. 200,000? 280,000, yeah. That is... It, it, that's insane compared to, what, like two years before that? Uh, no, it's a little longer than two years. Uh, the first number I gave you was from... Was it 91 or 90? Yeah, from 
1890, they sold 2,171 gallons. So nine years later, they're selling 280,000. But I think what you said in what, 1895 or something, they only sold like 80,000 gallons? Uh, yeah, something like that. That's still like more than double. And that's like, that. that's a huge number. Like that is astronomically big for growth. Like... That's like getting, that's like you having a million dollars one year and then you having $500 million the next year. Yeah. Like it's, that's in that I didn't look time. up the exact math of it, but. Yeah. But like in yeah. that, in that time as well to sell that much and to move that much product that like, like now, nowadays that it would make sense because of how our infrastructure is and everything, but for them to continuously do that and grow and like make that much is insane yeah and then in july of 1899 two tennessee lawyers benjamin franklin thomas and joseph b whitehead traveled to atlanta to discuss business with asa candler they wanted to bottle coca-cola bottling was considered a pretty sketchy business at the time one of ill repute the reason for this was because the best bottles at the time had been Hutchinson bottles, which were glass bottles with corks and a metal wire, and you would break the wire and the cork would pop, which would is where we get the name pop when it comes to, you know, like some people say soda, some people say pop. It's because of these early Hutchinson bottles. I did not know that. Well, at least that's what Coca-Cola's people say. I'm not, like, that was as far as I looked into it, but... No, I, I had no idea where the origin of the pop word came anyway. I just thought the weird northerners were weird. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's interesting Like what areas say soda and what areas say pop. I've heard there are some places where like any soda is just referred to as a Coke. Yeah, down here. Yeah. It's all, it's all Coke. Yeah, even when it's not. Anyways, these balls were also very difficult to sanitize, especially with the cork. It was basically a sponge for bacteria. This led to easy contaminations, making the market very sketchy. There was also attempts to like recycle the bottles, so you could like take them back for like a slight refund. They would sanitize them and then reuse them. But sometimes there'd be like slugs or like cigarette butts or whatever in them, so like sanitizing was very difficult. And sometimes the next customer just got like a little extra treat. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. But Thomas and Whitehead convinced Candler to give them the rights. He believed he had nothing to lose and everything to gain because he didn't have to put up any money for this. Like, they would absorb all the risks and they would be forced to only use Coca-Cola syrup, no imitators or competitors. So he would continue getting money from selling them the syrup and they would have to deal with all the logistics, all the expenses, all of that. And then if they failed to supply the demand of their territory, the contract would be voided. And their territory was essentially the entire United States, besides the area that Biedenhart had already carved out. And then the New England Territory had its own with a company called Seth Fowl and Sons. I didn't really look into them too much. With the agreement reached, he agreed to sell them syrup for a dollar a gallon. Uh, he also agreed to provide the advertising for them, and there was no term set on the contract, so that was the deal going forward until the eventual conflict between bottlers and the company. There might have been the exchange of like a token $1 to actually 
like seal the deal. But other than that, they didn't pay for the rights. They just got them. And then they would just have to pay for the syrup. You know, because bottling was such like a poor and unreputable business at the time, Candler thought like, whatever. And then like almost immediately learned to regret it. Because bottled Coke just took off. Yeah, you can take it everywhere and you don't have to go into town. Or you don't have to... With a fountain, you have to keep going back to that. But with like bottled Coke, you can buy like two or three and take them home and have them for later. Yeah, and like how Biedenhard had realized that like rural people that didn't come into the city that often meant they aren't, weren't going to be buying Coca-Cola that much. But if they could, you know, grab a six-pack, which I believe... One of these Coca-Cola bottlers was the first to create. Like, they could take it home and then they could have it for later. And I think what most of the population at the time, at that time, were not living in big cities. They were more rural, right? This would have been where the urbanization of America was really starting to take place. So a lot more rural farmers were starting to move into cities and whatnot. So it would have been... Right around that time. Still a big percent, probably like, what, 30, 40% at least at minimum still lived in rural communities. I don't have the exact numbers, but yeah, it was, it was probably a pretty significant amount. The other thing is that, like, with other things being bottled, you know, it would go bad. But with soda, the carbonization, or yeah, the carbonation actually acts as a preservative, which would have given it a longer shelf life. So as long as the bottle stayed sealed, it would stay good for longer. And the bottle cap created by William Painter would end up being a game changer that revolutionized bottling because now it was a lot more secure than just like a cork. So when they used to bottle milk and stuff, did they use corks back then? Uh, Yeah, as far as I know. Okay, continue. But there was also a lot less, like, refrigeration, so the shelf life much smaller. But the cocaine rumors were back in the paper, and more people were becoming concerned with it. Even temperance advocates were shying away from Coca-Cola, fearing it was causing customers to form cocaine habits. The rise, of bo- the rise of bottling also meant another perceived problem. While soda fountains were highly segregated, bottled Coca-Cola could be bought by black people. And that was... A concern for a lot of people had to be scary you can't share with you know different people yeah coca-cola was supposed to be a quote intellectual beverage among well-off white people but as grace elizabeth hale described it in the new york times quote anyone with a nickel black or white could now drink the cocaine infused beverage middle-class white whites worried that soft drinks were contributing to what they saw as an exploding cocaine use among african-americans southern newspapers reported that quote negro cocaine fiends were raping white women the police were powerless to stop them by 1903 the then manager of coca-cola asa griggs candler had bowed to white fears and a wave of anti-narcotics legislation and removed the cocaine and adding more sugar and caffeine. So cocaine wasn't made illegal in the United States until 1914, but Candler knew that the faster he could get it removed, the better for the company. He was a very religious man, so while the original Vin Mariani and Pemberton's original French wine coca and Coca-Cola were 
sold as, quote, great invigorators, the same sexual enhancer was now seen as a blight because black people might get it. In 1910, the U.S. State Department official Dr. Hamilton Wright claimed... That's more racism. Uh, quote, The use of cocaine by the Negroes of the South is one of the most elusive and troublesome questions ever to confront the enforcement of the law, often the direct incentive to the crime of rape by the Negroes. Ugh. Glad our government decided to weigh in with their own racism there. It's just, I guess, because where we live, or the time we live in now, it just all sounds asinine. But why does it all always come back down to, like, intelligence? Like, they think that drinking something is more for the intelligent, like, person. Like, you guys are all stupid regardless. Yeah, well, this is the time period where, like, race, science, and, like, fucking phrenology are still... They're they're not as popular as they were back in the 1800s, but they were still floating around and, like, measuring skulls and all that, like, see, we're better because we're white. Uh, also, nobody's talking about the white cocaine fiends. It's just, now the black people have it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I've, I've never understood, yeah. like, any of that. But it's, it's whatever. It's, it's... Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people still think that dumb shit to this day that uh you know that white people are still superior which makes no sense no no it doesn't it's just let's just let's just make the world better every day and include everybody because we're all people all have feelings we all care that'd be nice so the formula was changed and the cocaine alkaloid wasn't entirely separated from the recipe until 1929. However, according to Dominic Straitfield's book, Cocaine and Unauthorized History, coca leaves are still used in Coca-Cola. The cocaine is extracted at a New Jersey chemical processing facility called Stepan, and the decocainized leaves, called Merchandise Number no. 5, is then shipped to Coca-Cola bottling facilities. He claims that, to this day, they're still doing it. And I also saw a documentary that was also making that claim. But Coca-Cola still claims the beverage never had any cocaine in it. I mean, and it I, never had any pure cocaine in it, but it had the cocoa leave, I guess. Like, Yeah, true. They never like extracted the cocaine and then shoved it into bottles along with the sugar and the caffeine. But there definitely was coca in it. Yeah. Like... As a company, I don't know why they still claim that. But I think as a company, you can't. You have to stick with like. Stick with your belief of that you never did this because if you, I think if they like admitted it, then somebody could be like, "Oh, Coke had an ill, ill intent through their whole thing," and then there'd be like a lot of legal discourse and stuff that people could bring upon them. I guess it's all pretty obnoxious. Didn't they have to submit all like the recipe and stuff to what is it, the FDA or whatever? Uh, they probably do. Um, so they would know if the leaf and stuff is in it. It's not like it's not like we're it's a big conspiracy theory to where the whole freaking like half of the world's on it and keeping it a secret. Like, no, chances are the FDA knows what's in it, but. Coca-Cola has also, especially since that, like, 1902, when they won 
by suing the government. Coca-Cola has pumped a lot of money lobbying into Congress to, you know, make things go in their favor. So in 1903, Caleb Bradham moved his Pepsi-Cola bottling from his drugstore to a rented warehouse, and he sold 7,968 gallons of syrup that year. Which, obviously, is not Coke numbers, but for a guy working relatively independently, like, that's a pretty good... It's a lot, um, yeah. Yeah. The next year it was sold in six-ounce bottles, and he sold 19,848 gallons. So just like Coca-Cola before him, he was on a meteoric rise and didn't have any troublesome ingredients like cocaine. By 1904, Coca-Cola sold over 1 million gallons. Now that's that's just insane. <laughs> yeah. That like that's 4 years later than the number you said before and that's just people must really have liked Coke. I mean, they like it now, but like they must like Coke back then you have the thing back then. There's not as many luxuries as we have now, so drinking a Coca-Cola probably felt so nice and luxurious and made you feel like something other than what you were. Like, there's no way it didn't have a different connotation back then on how it made you feel when you drank it. Sure, but also like back then there wasn't nearly as many preservatives and sugars in food we don't really take into account how much like something that even that doesn't even taste sweet today has sugar in it but back then if if it didn't need something like sugar it just didn't have it in it at all because like it just wasn't worth the expense so something like coca-cola would have been it would have been its own far removed flavor making it incredibly delicious because it's like the only sweet thing a lot of people would have day to day i mean there was also like candies and pastries and whatnot but but nothing liquid and refreshing well and and most of that stuff didn't have this amount of sugar in it yeah and then in 1905 royal crown ginger ale created royal crown was created and they started off with a ginger ale we know him today as RC Cola, or maybe we don't know him because they've gone pretty far downhill. But for They're a still time, around. they still make they still make their product. They are. They're owned by um, Dr Pepper now. For a pretty decent chunk of the 1900s, Royal Crown was just as much of a competitor as Pepsi. Yeah, I know when my when my mom talks about when like she was young, and then when my grandparents were young and stuff they talk a lot about rc cola and that was like their big thing that they were drinking at that time and that when we they're from georgia and lived in georgia so i mean rc cola was still big i guess that was the 40s to 70s something like that yeah it, it was very popular for a long time and it's i'm gonna have to do an episode on royal crown just on its own just because like they had so many fascinating moments where they were just having a fantastic meteoric rise and then something would completely devastate them and they'd have to build back up and they'd be devastated again they created one of the first cherry colas called a chero cola but at the time i think coca-cola sued them for the cola and so like they had to change their name and it really fucked and then somehow pepsi got away with it and like, when Pepsi and Cola went to court, 
Pepsi or Cola was considered a generic enough term that they were allowed to use it. So where Chero Cola got got hit by the by that being a protected term, Pepsi somehow got away with it. I, I'm not sure about the dates. Yeah, didn't RC Cola have like a resurgence like ten years ago or something again, or like in the past? 10, 15 years. I remember, like, it, people started It probably would have been closer to 20. Okay. I remember it, like, coming back just for an instant, and then it was gone again. Yeah. Like I said, we'll probably do an episode about it down the road. So, in 1906, Canada, Cuba, and Panama started bottling Coca-Cola. Again, they just continue to rise. In 1909, Pepsi gets race driver or race car driver Barney Oldfield to be the first celebrity spokesman for Pepsi. He called it a bully drink. Refreshing, invigorating, a fine bracer before a race. I love it when people say bully. I don't, I've never heard that, like, I, like I've heard the word, but never in that, like, connotation. Oh, you haven't? There's a lot of impressions of uh, Teddy Roosevelt doing that. It was when a phrase I... popular at the time. I need to educate myself. I need to become a cultured man. I mean, like, a hundred years from now, someone will say, like, oh, yeah, that's on... Like, they'll say, like, oh, look at this guy back a hundred years ago. He said things were on fleek, you know? It's just one of those... Words. Words that were popular at the time. Also in 1909, Cliff Pemberton was dying of cancer. A group of women approached Candler, asking if he could give her $50 a month to cover her expenses until her death. Candler, who had given a eulogy for John Pemberton and was one of his pallbearers, refused. Wow. Cliff Pemberton died two months later. Wow. Yeah, this dude's selling over a million gallons of Coke a year. Like, just astronomical profits. Can't spare $50 a month to the dying I'm, widow of... I wonder what his net worth was like back then. Like, how much money he actually had. I briefly tried to look it up i couldn't find anything specific so i just kind of gave up but i wasn't looking for very long i'm sure i could have found it if i had kept trying so in 1913 frank robinson decided to retire he stayed on as a director but for the most part his time at coca-cola was done he was being pushed out by newer younger advertising agents that and there was a lot of nepotism involved. But he was also in his 60s. He'd had his run. He was financially secure. And so he decided to let it go. Also by 1913, Coca-Cola is advertised on over 100 million items, including thermometers, Japanese fans, calendars, metal signs, cardboard cutouts, soda fountain trays, matchbooks, baseball cards, and innumerable cardboard and metal signs. A hundred million items. Coca-Cola beverages and marketing was so prevalent that it was essentially a part of American culture. There were so many Coca-Cola novelties that in that one year alone, there was enough to supply every man, woman, and child who had ever lived in the continental United States since the 1650s with a piece of memorabilia. Jeez. That's so much. Mm -hmm. But you, you have to... Like Coke, even now, Coke products and memorabilia are used as like just decorative pieces. Like even if you don't like Coke, like they look cool on the wall. Like right. there's just 
a tie-in. It's just like a, literally a piece of furniture that you like put in your house. Yeah, we, we really don't think about it, but it's everywhere. Coca-Cola was so ingrained in society that it was rumored that Fatty Arbuckle used a Coca-Cola bottle during a Hollywood orgy. That's the only way I could find that being used. So I don't know what it means he used a Coca-Cola bottle. I don't know if he was inserting it into people or if he was spraying into it like I don't, I don't know what he was doing with it but he allegedly quote-unquote used a coca-cola bottle during a hollywood orgy maybe it's not he was, he was it's not he was drinking drink. coke during oh. the orgy he was using the bottle you covered everything that i was going to try to disprove it with but <laughs> so in 1914 coca-cola introduced a new bottle the hobble skirt bottle as it would be called it was designed based on the cocoa plant or the coca bean pods, as in chocolate cocoa, not coca. Yeah. Into coke? Yeah. So, the cacao, like the stuff that makes chocolate, it had like a a bean pod that was kind of shaped the way they wanted it, whereas like cola nuts and... Um, and uh, cocoa plants didn't really have like that unique shape. So ch- chances are someone was like flipping through an image of plants and like they looked at coca and cola and we're like, no, no. But then like right next to that in the seas with the cacao bean and they were like, oh, and it was named after the hobble skirts, which were narrow beneath the knees and then which hobbled women because like it it meant they like had to walk with like their knees really close together and then it spread out wider at the ankles so it kind of gave it this contoured feminine shape the actual bottle or sorry the actual skirt was only popular for a short period of time because it was a absolute pain in the ass to wear sounds like but the but the bottle was so unique people reaching into an ice chest could identify it just by its feel or could identify a broken piece of glass on the ground as a Coca-Cola bottle. And it also had, you know, because it was kind of designed after the hobble skirt, it gave it kind of a feminine shape, so there was still that, like, ingrained sex sells aspect of it. I mean, that's very good marketing. Like, they're taking every aspect of Coke and anything that you can see, touch experience about it you know that it's coke itself yeah and this design would later be refined to fit bottle manufacturing equipment and it's essentially the same design we know today yeah like it's been slightly refined but that is the coca-cola bottle pure Uh, and perfect in every single way world war one would prove to be a problem for all fountain drinks there was sugar rationing this caused sugar to become scarce and therefore expensive and while a company like coca-cola was so big that it could it could weather such an event. It still pain their pockets, but they weren't like ruined by this. Pepsi was less lucky, and the sugar ration hurt them deeply. So, and does then Pepsi I, have like two to three times the sugar in their product? Uh, it's not that much, but they do have more sugar. It'd be something like a ten percent increase, but like there okay. is a slight difference. But like anything using sugar was having a rough time of it that's when they should Uh, come up with diet coke so after the war and the rationing was over caleb bradham wanted to make sure 
he wanted to make sure he couldn't, like, he wouldn't run out of sugar again. So he bought up a bunch of sugar, like just a massive amount. But with the rationing over, the price of sugar plummeted, like, just after he bought it, meaning he was left with a massive loss. Pepsi-Cola limped along for a little longer, like a couple of years before declaring bankruptcy in 1923. Bradham sold the company and returned to his quiet life as a pharmacist, dying in 1934 before the company ever really recovered. He sold it to a guy named Roy C. McGargle. <laughs> Roy C. McGargle. <laughs> yeah. What a name. Yeah. Oh, my God. he got teased. There's no way. Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine, like, Mike knowing that guy? Yeah, McGargle, these nuts, and (laughs) so many dick and penis and ball jokes. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, he bought the company, but was also unsuccessful at reviving it. It was eventually sold to Charles Guth, the president of Loft Incorporated, which was a candy company. Loft had soda fountains, and they were looking to replace Coca-Cola after Coca-Cola refused to give them a discount for the, like, massive amount of syrup they were buying. They were like, come on, we're buying in bulk, can't you, like, give us a discount? Coke wasn't having it, which was the same thing that happened with Crown Royal. These companies were like, can we get a discount since we're buying so much? And they were like, no. And, And so they were like, well, fuck you, I'll make my own soda with blackjack and hookers. Between 1922 So you're talking about the liquor, right? Or what? were you talking about RC Cola? No, I was talking about RC Cola. Oh, you said, oh shit, you I did. You said Crown Royal, and I was like... Yeah, I, I, like, I did mess somewhere up. Yeah. Else. Sorry, I and meant it, Royal Crown. And um, then, you, then you brought up Blackjack and uh, Hookers, and I was like, maybe it is the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was, light, I was writing this late at night. <laughs> between 1922 and 1933, between its various owners, Pepsi offered to sell to Coca-Cola three times, but every time they refused. Now in the control of Loft, they modified the Pepsi-Cola formula, and in 1934, they made their first real attack on Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola had always been sold in 6.5-ounce bottles, which were pretty typical of the time. When Loft reintroduced Pepsi during the Great Depression, they sold 12-ounce bottles, nearly twice the value for the same price. They also introduced a radio jingle called Nickel Nickel, which was so popular, it was the first to be broadcast coast-to-coast, and would eventually be recorded in 55 different languages. So this is, what year did you say? The 34? Yes. Okay. 1934. So is Asa Candler still around at that time? Uh, no. He, uh, he's, he pretty much gave it to his kids in 1919. So Because he went on to uh, become the mayor of Atlanta for... Uh, several years wow. so he he uh, wanted to focus on that so he mostly like let his kids run the business and then eventually just like sold the whole thing to him so the main two guys were out at, the, at that time right so they were basically uh, i mean not going through growing pains because they were uh already huge but i guess they were trying to find themselves again during that time a little bit. Um, in 1923, Robert Woodruff was elected pres- president of the Coca-Cola Company, and Coca-Cola first sponsored the Olympics in 1928. I knew so, I was close. Yeah, they, they weren't the first Olympic sponsorship, which was all the way back in 1908 when a soup company sponsored the London Games by giving athletes hot and cold meat drinks, like uh, probably something like Bovril or whatever. But yeah. 
yeah, I was completely wrong last week. What I had read was that they were financially the most successful, and I misread that as the first. I knew I knew they had been around for like ever with that. Yeah, like like... a day after we recorded that, I was like, "That doesn't sound right." And I went and looked it up, and was like, "Oh no!" Yeah, I knew they were a giant inside the Olympics. You guys listen to me. I'm smart sometimes. In 1929, 7-Up is created, and Asa Candler dies. He had a stroke in 1926 and never really recovered from it. Eventually, in 1929, he died. It's from drinking uh, all that damn Coke. Maybe. In 1931, Santa Claus is used in Coca-Cola ads. Now, previously, Coca-Cola had used an older, less pleasant or modern version of Santa Claus in some ads, but in 1931, they uh, debut the version with rosy cheeks a big red coat and uh, santa like the hat that santa claus is known for like the essentially the modern santa we all know today prior to that santa had been in blue he'd been in yellow he'd been green he, like he yeah. but this solidified uh, like him coca-cola with america huh yeah, yeah well it solidified like his like the santa santa suit and stuff too right yeah it's, like he it's coca-cola red yeah santa wearing coca-cola red so like everything about santa traditionally or not not everything but traditionally the santa stuff now the way that we see him is because of coke like yeah we have we none of us who are alive right now have never grew up in a world without coca-cola santa like the santa you see is from coke pretty much yeah and it also helped to indoctrinate kids into becoming Coca-Cola drinkers in a, at an early age. Essentially the same way sex sells to adults, Santa sells to kids, which is a really gross sentence. I'm, I'm apologizing for saying it, but that's essentially what it was. Like that same, like, oh. you know, like this, this makes me happy. This brings me joy. Like, and it's associated with Coke. Therefore, Coke also makes me happy and brings me joy. Santa wearing Coca-Cola red became deeply ingrained with the joy of Christmas and the joy of Coke. It's insane because if you look at stuff before then, like the depictions of Santa and stuff, like you said, he was depicted in like green and blue and like rags and other things. Like he wasn't a, um, like he looked like a regular guy. He wasn't the jolly and red cheeked and like everything like that. Yeah. And he'd he'd like wear like fur hats or like, whatever else like uh yeah just this one yeah this one made his canonical image the coca-cola red i mean santa back in the day like they were dressing him up like he would dress as a regular person back then because he's going around in winter when it's cold so that they would have fur and like bigger like clothing and stuff on like it's it's wild. I I don't I don't think a lot of people actually know how influential Coke is in the Santa game and like how we picture it. Yeah, I love Christmas by the way, and uh, I like Coke and stuff. So I I like this stuff. Yeah, seeing those you know old Coca Cola signs with Santa on them, like the ones that are that have this iconic suit and everything, I always felt a little weird because, like, they they gave him the rosy cheeks because, like, you know, it's cold, it's wintertime and all that. 
but like I was felt it kind of made Santa look like a drunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it will, kind of, well, I think maybe they kind of played off that too because when you drink Coke and if you're a little bit buzzed and drunk, because kids will look at it as a happiness, adults will look at it as oh he's having fun, he feels good, he's vibing, you know. Yeah. God, just waited. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna get around to it, but like later on when Coke like takes over the freaking uh polar bear game to where the, and it makes them look like conservationist and like um like like they're trying to change the world with like the polar ice caps and saving polar bears and stuff wild yeah like they know like dude coke is insane with how they like what they're doing if there they- if there is a hydra embedded inside of america it's coke <laughs> yeah, uh, Coca-Cola first used polar bears in uh, 1922. The ones we know didn't come out until like 1993. Yeah. So that will be brought up next week. Coca-Cola now has the beginning of a war on its hands with Pepsi-Cola, which is the first rival to really actually pose even the slightest threat to their domination of the market. Like there were plenty of other sodas, like I named some of them off, but like nothing had it any kind of none of them posed any threat to coca-cola but now pepsi like suddenly with their bottles that are twice the size and like their jingle and everything like they're suddenly becoming a threat but that wasn't the only war brewing uh nazi germany was starting to look like a threat to the whole of europe and that could be disastrous for coca-cola's plans of expansion and that's where we'll pick back up next week damn it i was ready for nazi germany coke I know. I I wanted to, but it was like... I, I knew... Like, the reason I knew the thing about the Olympics because I knew something happened with the Germans and Coke during the like 1934 Olympics or whatever when they were like in Germany. like yeah. Because they were... Coke was sponsoring it at that time or some shit, something like that. And Probably. They, like, I think... I don't fully remember, but I know like it, it was all mixed in. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to get into that next week, as well as like the actual war between Pepsi and Coke. So I was Coke. writing this until like four in the morning last night, and I was like, "There's no way!" Like we've already been going for an hour and twenty minutes. So I was like, "There's no fucking way I can bring up everything about World War Two that had to do with Coke." Like, there's just no way. So, so we'll we'll start off with that next week. So Coke. Um, has basically never really had any rival. Like, I, like you're going to talk about Pepsi, but, I mean, bro, come on. It's Pepsi. We, we uh, I don't know. I guess maybe we'll get into something, but I'm trying to think of, like, other drinks that, like, are as synonymous as, like, Pepsi and Coke. Those are, the, like, your two colas. Yeah. Um, like I said, RC Cola had a shot at it, but just due to various disastrous uh, events, like, they... They kept getting sidelined, and um, I mean, Dr. Pepper is still huge, but it's not a cola, technically. Yeah. And if you and, like, I'm just trying to think about like, yeah, everything else is like so, like other types of soda or like, like, but they're not, they're nowhere near as even big as Coke. And even if they are, e- even if like you're thinking about some that are, like when you get into energy drinks and things, Coke probably owns it. Yeah, that that's yeah. just wild. There's Dr. Pepper, there's various root beers, there's various, like, 
Seven Up t- style lemon lime drinks. But yeah, the only thing to even come close to touching Coke is Pepsi. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like with restaurants and stuff, because when we talked about Domino's and pizza and stuff, eventually other pizza catches up, like Papa John's and Pizza Hut. And then if you go with burgers, yes, McDonald's was huge for a while. But now, like, you've got into a place where, like, In-N-Out is becoming more and more huge and giving it a run. And, like, then you had Burger King and stuff. Like, McDonald's is probably universally, like, worldly um bigger but like you can still see that there's other like contenders coke got in early and really like has just become it's it's basically king of the hill and it got there first and nobody else has really come close except for coca-cola or uh pepsi cola we'll get into some of the other brands that tried and where and why they failed next week as well this is fun, dude. I like. I don't know. I don't know if you can tell, but how much fun I having because I like Christmas. I like Coke. I like Santa. I like wars. Like, no, I don't like wars. I like learning about wars, and like, I don't know. This is this is a good time. I'm having a good time. Yeah. So this is like a... basically this is how college should be, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> College is just eight podcasts in a row every day. Yeah, but of fun stuff. It, but it, I mean, technically, college is it's a lecture. Like when you get to college, ninety percent of it is lecture, and unless you're like in some type of science, uh, you're not going to do barely anything hands on or labs. Yeah, I mean, like there are other classes that are more hands-on but what I'm yeah it is, is we need to start our own school it it would be kind of cool to have a lecture where like there was a second person there just like riffing and telling jokes we we got to start our own college and then we set it up like this <laughs> all right well uh yeah next week we'll get into uh world war ii and the aftermath uh some more racist advertising uh the battle between coke and pepsi and uh a couple other interesting little tidbits but that's where we're gonna call it today yeah to the racist like advertising and stuff i don't think me as like a person have ever put like products like people getting offended by like uh other races like using their products and stuff like i've probably like always knew but i never like I don't think I became fully aware of it until you just said that. And I'm like, man, there probably is a lot of things that started out so like that. Like they did not want black people to like eat at the like restaurants or like certain fast food and certain like, I bet like there's candy and stuff that they're like, don't like if a black kid eats this, the white kid shouldn't like, there are certainly products like that, yeah. There's also just a lot of products that have, like, really, really racist uh, mascots and whatnot. Yeah. I would like uh, to unpack that eventually. Maybe, maybe no time soon in the podcast. We need to... But I feel like that should be unpacked in something, like a... Yeah. Racism in... 
when advertising or racism and yeah. consumerism. Yeah, I think yeah, that's um, a good topic. It's it's one of the things I have in mind to do at least one episode on, but but for now we'll stick with uh, the Cola Wars. Next week, I'm hoping we'll be able to finish it with a part three. Guys, thank you for uh, listening to us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at what underscore we underscore consume. And then on Instagram, it's at what we consume podcast. And I am at King Hagathor on Twitter. Other than that, bye bye. <laughs>